Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're on day three of the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. And here is a clip from today's hearing where she is going over what the First Amendment covers. What are the five freedoms of the First Amendment? Speech, religion, press... Assembly, speech, press, religion, assembly. I don't know. What am I missing? Redress or protest. Okay. Just stumbled on that one important thing. Uh, Fox News contributor Richard Fowler is back with us. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. How are y'all? You know, we're we're surviving. I mean, I can't believe it's like 20 days until the election. It is indeed 20 days until the election. That is Couldn't scary. come any quicker. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's go back to this uh, these confirmation hearings. What is standing out for you? Do you think Democrats are doing what they can? Is it a losing battle for them at this point? Um, Democrats have uphill battle here. Amy Coney Barrett has the votes. If the vote were happening today, this is going to be a vote that is strictly along party lines. Yeah. And this does not favor the Democratic Party. That being said, I think, you know, the bigger issue here for folks listening is this is why the courts are so important. And this is why voting in this upcoming election because of the court has become so important. And I think that's the biggest thing we could take away from this. The only reason why Republicans are allowed to do this, right, in 20 days before an election, they are doing it rapid speed is because they know that in all likelihood, they could lose control of the United States Senate. That is true. I mean, it seems like that's the case. Yeah, I. but it was quite interesting, though, during this time. I feel like she, there was a lot of things that she was standing firm on when she was answering mm-hmm. the, uh, questions. But Donald Trump, if you look back at the history of it all, he really was saying a lot of things that was opposite of her. You know, she was his pick. Is she supposed to kind of say the same things or kind of be on his side? Is that going to be something that's going to turn him off? I don't think we're going to see that. I think you're going to see very clearly that the president's going to be lockstep with Amy Coney Barrett on many of these issues. And the reason being that, you know, this is his pick. He will have one thing that Donald Trump will go down in history for is for changing the makeup of the United States Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, Richard Fowler, again, is with us as we talk about uh, Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett and the confirmation hearings happening today. What do you want to see more of from this right now? Well, I do think it's important that members of the United States Senate begin to ask Amy Coney Barrett the tough question, right? Like, where does she stand on? Where does she stand? I mean, there's a a case that came out recently about uh, one of her cases is around the use of the N-word. And so... Oh, I saw that case, Richard. Oh, my God. The fact that she was... It was was like a case 
case about a workplace situation and she didn't deem a person being called the N-word as a hostile or a, work a, yeah, a hostile work environment, which is shocking to me. Like, that is very shocking. Yes. Uh, and so we're going to have to wait to see, right? Where will all of this pan out and how this will impact, you know, the votes? But if I were if I were a betting man, I would bet that Amy Coney Barrett ends up on the United States Supreme Court. Oh, God. Oh. I mean, it seems like it. Like for everyone saying to call your senators, what can your senator actually do in this situation right now? Uh, not very much. Right. I mean, if your senator is a Republican, in all likelihood, they will be lockstep with the president on this. But do you think that's going to have an effect if this does happen? Do you think that's going to have an effect on the people's hope of like, oh, are we actually out of this? Because if she gets, you know, you know, she's set into the Supreme Court and she joins, she could really impact generations of so many rights. So what about hope here? Do we just lose it at this point? Uh, I wouldn't say lose it, but I think, you know, this, this just once again amplifies the importance of voting, whether or not you like everything about Joe Biden. Vote for Joe Biden because, you know, Joe Biden will put somebody on the United States Supreme Court that will stand up for the values of everyday people. Do you think that, you know, with all our knowledge of everything that she has stood against, you know, LGBTQ plus rights, obviously social justice issues, and of course, abortion, uh, is there a chance that she could surprise us when, uh, you know, she's part of the Supreme Court because she says she's not going to bring her religious beliefs to those decisions? You know, Shara, that's really hard to figure out. And that's hard to, it's, it, we're basically, it's, it's a guessing game at this point, because we're just not really sure. We're not sure of how Miss Barrett is going to rule on many of the issues that we care about. And I think that's what makes this case, this particular nomination so extremely difficult because we're not like she keeps saying throughout her, she's not giving really, she's not giving the American people clear answers on certain things. Uh, a great example of this was yesterday uh, in an exchange with uh, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar asked her about voter intimidation. Uh, and she was like, if I can't rule on voter intimidation until it's actually in front of me. And then, you know, Amy Klobuchar's response was, but, you know, your honor, isn't it not? It, here's what the law says about vote. Like, here's a law that's been in the books for decades about voter intimidation and about, you know, all of this, why can't you just sort of rule on, why can't you just say that this is a good law? And I think that was a very shocking mm -hmm. um, sort of exchange, but I think sort of speaks to where the United States Senate is. I mean, just think about this for a second, y'all. Lindsey Graham is in a tough reelection. And instead of, instead of, giving, instead of giving dates to his opponent so there could be a second debate, instead of fighting to ensure that, like, instead of fighting to ensure that California, I mean, excuse me, South Carolina has the yeah. resources they need to protect themselves against coronavirus, he's more consumed with Amy Barrett being put on the United States Supreme Court. All right, Richard Fowler, we're going to take a break right now. Coming up, though, you're going to stay with us. The voter suppression is real, as we all know, but despite that, turnouts are in record numbers. But will it last? We're getting into that in two minutes. Though early voting has begun for many states across the U.S., last-minute filings to hinder the voting access have flooded the courts. Back with us is Richard Fowler from Fox News. 
Thanks, Richard, again, for continuing to hang out with us today. No worries. <laughs> so is it just Republicans giving it all they've got to suppress votes, or is it just that we assume that because that's what's happened in the past? Uh, I think we assume that's what's happened in the past. We're, all, we're also seeing it happen currently. I mean, think, look at all, I mean, in the state of Texas, for example, the governor has pushed forward a measure that was said that there's only one drop-off place for your ballot yeah. in huge counties. So just think about that. You have a half a million people, or even if you have 30,000 people in the same county, and you only have one place to drop off ballots. In the District of Columbia, where I live, there are probably about 30 places to drop off your ballot. Every polling place, right, mm -hmm. has a ballot drop box there. So it's very clear that Republicans are trying to make, and beyond that, you see frivolous lawsuits being pushed forward by the president and the Trump campaign all around the country to limit mail-in votings, to limit early voting, to make it as hard as possible for people to vote. Because here's what they know. They know that when people don't vote, they win, which is why it's important that every American Right now, some of the registration dates have already passed, uh -huh. but I think now more than ever, it's important for every American to make sure that they are registered. And if they are registered, more importantly, that they vote in this upcoming election. Okay. So could the biggest uh, suppression actually come after election dates when votes are, are getting tallied? I mean, we saw things in Virginia where the, the entire system where people were trying to register to vote, they couldn't even because the system is down. And I know people are actually suing Virginia now. But could we actually see the, the biggest version of suppression happen after election day? Uh, it's very possible, right? It's going to become a it's going to become a, a, a battle for the ballots. Um, and I think that's why it's so prudent that people make sure they vote, make sure they follow all the rules that are on your on your letter or on the mail piece that comes with your voting. Or if you don't have a mail piece, if you're going to vote early, make sure you do it um, early. If you're going to vote early, vote early and vote early. Like, I mean, because you see the lines right in, 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 in Gwinnett County, where my mother lives, eight mm -hmm. hour waits to vote. So people, even though there's so much misinformation happening, Shira and Ryan, People are still people still understand the importance of voting and the importance of voting in this upcoming election. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, this is going to bring out obviously m many more people than we've ever seen? Is that because of how divisive things have become? This does feel like the election of our lifetime. I think part of it is because of how divisive it's become. And I think part of it's also become the people. I mean, my hope is my hope and prayer is that people realize that We've dealt, we've had three years of Donald Trump and we've also had seven months of Donald Trump exacerbated. And you need, I think every American voter needs to ask themselves, is this the America they want to live in? Uh, an America full of misinformation, an America full with a president who seems not to care about the health and welfare of the American people. And when, we, when I say that, allow me to be specific. The scientists say that if you test positive for COVID-19, you should quarantine for 14 days, right? The science says that if you have a mass gathering, which you shouldn't have more than 10 people, but if you have a mass gathering, social distance, wear a mask. All rules that Donald Trump and his campaign have broken over the past seven months. Uh, again, we're talking to Fox News contributor Richard Fowler, now Quinnipiac uh, University. They came out with a poll just now. It's just released. It's trending on Twitter. It seems like in Georgia and Ohio, Biden is ahead. But we're talking by like, you know, in Ohio, by 1%. Uh, and like 7% in Georgia, that's still pretty close. Oh, no, this is going to be a close election, which is why you see, you see this is going to be, this election will be decided on the margins. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, it's imperative that, like I said, everybody gets out there, everybody votes, 
And more than Portland, everybody votes. Everybody understands the rules and the process. And I think one more thing that's so important, uh, and I think is this, Donald Trump and Republicans are going to try to convince you that election day is when the results are final. And that is not true. That has never been true. That will never be true. <laughs> election day, people make predictions on who's going to win what particular state based off exit polls, based off early returns, etc. But it takes weeks to certify an election. They have to count provisional ballots. They have to count overseas military ballots. They have to double check, triple check those ballots. And then those that election is certified. It could take sometimes two weeks, three weeks to certify that election. So there's never been a time in American history where the president, the presidential election has actually been certified on election night. Do we have results on election night? Yes. Is the election officially certified? No. So don't let Donald Trump and his allies fool you in saying that, oh, if it's not decided on election night, it's not it's not really a win. That's not how this goes down. It's never gone down that way. Mm -hmm. It will never go down this way. So you're telling us we have to wait an extra two weeks, possibly, with anxiety of knowing who's going to win. That's great. Ryan, Ryan <laughs> you've already had to wait two weeks. But, and what usually uh, happens with normal behavior is the election happens and based off early returns and Associated Press projections, the like the candidate who is losing usually calls and they concede. We just based feel on numbers. it. But, in this, but it still doesn't mean... So, for example, when Hillary Clinton called Donald Trump to concede election night, the yeah. election wasn't actually certified for about a week and a half later. But it felt obvious enough that she felt yeah, the need to do that, obviously. Yeah, but it felt obvious enough that she, yeah. called, that she called him. Now, we know in this case, it's very unlikely that Donald Trump loses. He's going to call somebody. But I think it's important for the American people to hear this now so that on election night, when Donald Trump starts saying, oh, we don't have a winner, thus I'm going to stay president for seven more years or for four more years. That's not how this all, that's not how it goes. Okay. Richard Fowler, thanks again for being here with us today. Good to be with y'all. Richard Fowler is a Fox News contributor at Richard A. Fowler is where to find him on Instagram. Now coming up, you remember that Central Park Karen, Amy Cooper, who called the cops on an innocent black man who was just bird watching? Well, we've got news of a second 911 call she made that wasn't released. That's next in two minutes. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office filed a misdemeanor charge today against the white woman who called the police on a black man bird watching in Central Park in May. All right, we all know the story. This was that video that went viral. Here, he, here it is for a reminder. Please stop. Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording me. Please, please don't come off. close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to and me. I'm taking pictures calling the cops. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Well, it has now been revealed that she had made a second 911 call about the encounter. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, this this woman can't get out of the headlines. We can't just get rid of the story. We thought we had heard enough, but we hadn't. Uh, she was charged in New York County Criminal Court with falsely reporting an incident in the third degree. Uh, and the charges stemmed from that confrontation May 25th against Christian Cooper. By the way, they have no relation. Uh, and in it, as you heard, she said, I'm taking a picture calling the cops. I'm going to tell them um, there was, you know, that you were trying to assault me or do something to me. Well, in addition, according to the criminal complaint NSD did in court, Cooper made a second previously unreported call to the police, repeated the accusation, adding that the man tried to assault her. 
When responding officers arrived and she admitted that the male had not tried to assault or come into contact with her. So that's the latest there. All I got to say is screw Amy Cooper. She wanted um, that man that did for her to have called twice and to have lied twice and knowing her power, knowing her privilege, knowing what would have happened and how that situation would have escalated. She basically tried to commit murder, in my opinion. And if you don't remember, this was also the day before George Floyd happened. And we watched that eight minute and 40 second, uh, 46 second you know, clip and video of um, him being killed, being murdered. And so, yeah, to have this news come out and then also Amy Cooper at one point was trying to say, you know, about cancel culture was ruining her life and to know that she was withholding this piece of information, probably hoping and praying that this information didn't come out. But guess what? What is done in the dark always comes to light. I mean, I'm wondering why it took this long, considering this whole case and had been re- reported on so much. Like, why now? Why is this coming out now? And this does prove already there were, uh, were the whole thing that happened was so problematic and horrible. To add this layer to it just proves what everyone already thought, right? Yeah, I know mean, for it. sure. There's nothing else. There's, I mean, it's just horrible. And it's a There's- protection thing, right? It's a. Uh, I'm not. The information didn't come out because she probably was trying to protect herself. And at the end of the day, the system will protect her. And and unfortunately, how, you know, deep this internalized situation could be for a person of color like this man, he was at one point trying to protect her. He even spoke up and was taking the high road, even though his life was at risk. So it's it's unfortunate, but I'm happy that this news did drop and that um, Amy Cooper will get one day what she is deserved. And I'm hoping that she is completely ostracized from society. Yeah, I don't know uh, what person would want to have a cocktail with her anytime soon. That would be awkward. Are you looking for a way to get involved with this election, but you don't even know where to start? Well, how about being a poll worker? Power the Polls is an organization that wants to give you all the tools to be involved. And Scott Duncombe, co-director of Power the Polls, joined us to break down just how you can make it happen today. What we're doing is providing an easy resource for anyone in the country to figure out how to be a poll worker because it's different for every place. So what we do is we connect you to your local jurisdiction so you can be a poll worker. Okay, so I guess let's break this down. What do you need to know to become a poll worker? Is it too late? How does the training look? Break it down for us. Definitely not too late. So it's it's really easy. All you have to do is if you go to powerthepolls.org, you put in your zip code, we pass you over your jurisdiction, then you sign up with your local uh, election official. Sometimes it's your city, sometimes your county, sometimes it's your state. Uh, then they will get back to you and get you signed up for a training. Usually that's sometimes in person, sometimes virtual. Uh, and then you're set. And oftentimes you get paid. So it's even better than just Ooh. volunteering. Oh, yeah. And so are you doing it just the day of or are there like how does that work in terms of timing? It's really up to the election official. In most cases, it's the day of because there's way more polling sites than there are early vote sites. But if you sign up with your election official, maybe they'll have you count ballots. Maybe they'll have you be working at an early vote location. It really is up to them. Um, but we're mostly recruiting for folks on election day. So in this climate, which is highly polarizing, right? Why mm-hmm. would someone decide to become a poll worker? Like, why? Why? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Well, you get to be the uh, you get to be like the the ambassador for democracy. You are going to be there when, you know, a, a first time voter or a voter who hasn't voted in a long time comes. They don't know how to vote necessarily. Maybe you've got the uh, language skill that's closer to them. Maybe the English isn't their first language and you can be that barrier for them. 
Um, we've heard from young folks who are poll workers that seeing a smiling young face can be a real, make a real difference for a first time or a shy voter. Because let's face it, voting can be kind of intimidating sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Again, uh, you're listening to Scott Duncan, who's the co-director of Power of the Polls, as we talk about how to become a poll worker. And actually, it seems like usually poll workers are 60 plus. Is there a big push now to get younger people? Oh, yeah, definitely. That, that was, I think, the whole inspiration behind Power the Polls is that over half of poll workers are over the age of 60, very at risk folks. We saw what happens when these folks didn't show up in primaries that happened after the pandemic outage, a pandemic outbreak. A ton yeah. of polling places closed, which meant more lines. So we're really trying to recruit what we're calling the next generation of poll workers, which means young folks, uh, people, you know, young poll workers, right, which is under the age of 30 in that range. So let me ask what the people really want to know. How much are we getting paid? Because you talk, you said money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. What's Sometimes that look like? like? It's like, I think it's like 12. It does, it's going to depend. Sometimes 12, uh, 15 bucks an hour. But sometimes okay. if you're working a full day, right, plus the training, eh, that's not that's not a small amount of money. You know, that's like your Christmas shopping money. Uh, what I've heard some election officials say. Yeah. Right? You know, put that, you'll probably get that around November, right, when the, when the payroll comes in. Um, so especially if you work, you know, early vote days, you count ballots after the election, right? All those good things. Um, that could be a, a good amount of money for folks. And it doesn't count against your unemployment in a lot of places too. So if you're unemployed, uh, it's, a, it's a good part-time gig. Yeah, that's great. So what does training look like? I think that's, we still didn't really get to that. Um, it seems yeah. like it's a huge responsibility and yet I'm sh- I, I, anyone can obviously do it, but does, can anyone do it? And what does that look like? So usually you do need to be registered in the place you're working, either in the state or the county. Uh, and uh, what the training looks like, it's going to really depend on the jurisdiction. In some cases, it's virtual. In some cases, you're going to be there in person. Um, it's really it's really up to the election official. We're going to provide some information about kind of generally what it looks like. Uh, what we've also heard is that everyone who's going to be a poll worker is going to get PPE. So you're going to be protected. Um, and, and that's something we've been able to kind of guarantee to folks, um, unlike the earlier elections that happened right after the pandemic when PPE was a choice. So does your company work with bigger or like companies and these corporate companies to make sure that people are being able to get like paid time off when it comes to being a poll worker? Yeah, that's one of the great things uh, that, that we've kind of been able to lock this this year uh, with Power of the Polls. We've got a lot of great corporate partners like Old Navy and Starbucks and Target and Patagonia that are giving folks the day off. Uh, not just to vote, but to go be poll workers, uh, which is really exciting. So definitely if, if you're working at one of those companies uh, or you just ask your company, like, is this something that you can do to, to get the day off uh, to go serve uh, and be a poll worker? All right. Well, I mean, it's so needed right now. So we really appreciate you for joining us. Anything else we need to know as we enter this uh, election cycle? One, one kind of fun thing is that you don't necessarily have to be old enough to vote to be a poll worker. In some places, you can be uh, as old as 16. Um, so, you know, sometimes oh. as high schoolers, that can be really fun. Uh, you know, take it out of school. I'm sure your teachers will give it to you uh, and go be a poll worker, even if you and, can't vote. And maybe that'll help the, you know, obviously the learning process. This could be very intense. And I know a lot of times technology and the elder generation, that doesn't sometimes click. So maybe that'll help out the, the process. I think that's 100% what we're hoping too. Yeah, folks that are, are less at risk for COVID-19, uh, you know, more diverse, more like the, their polling places than the older generation and a little more tech savvy. I think that's that's all a lot of secret sauce that we'd like to see in this election. Uh, so we're really excited about the folks who are recruiting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is really cool. Yeah, thank you for spreading the word. This is a really important issue and, and thanks for encouraging folks to sign up. Yeah, that was Scott Duncan, co-director of Power the Polls. For more, go to powerthepolls.org. Now, coming up, many people are voting early. We tell you how to be completely informed as you look down your ballot next in two minutes. 
Well, we are all focused on voting for the race for president. When you fill out your ballot, you'll also see a number of other names, titles, propositions, referendums that are asking for your support. It can all seem very overwhelming and a lot more work uh, to make those decisions on all of these other, what they're calling down ballot races. Uh, but they're also extremely important. So we wanted to get into that today. Ross Morales Riquetto joins us, who's the co-founder and chief program and recruitment officer for runforsomething.net. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what is a down ballot race? This is basic stuff, but you'd be surprised a lot of people don't know about what that is. Totally. So when you typically go into the ballot box, you see you have the ability to vote for president, U.S. Senate, Congress. Those are the things that most people at least know exist if they don't necessarily know who those folks are in their area. Everything basically below that is what we call a down ballot office. So anything from a state legislature, which makes decisions on things like how education, like funding gets allocated in your state, all the way down to things like city council, which often control things like potholes getting filled, uh, when your trash gets picked up. I know New York City's been having some issues with the trash recently. Um, so yeah, those are like all of the different types of things that are out there. And there's like hundreds of thousands of those offices uh, all around the country. So I guess how are um, how are you or your organization working on kind of making sure people understand the severity of like the down ballot and like the things that it's just not voting for the president, you know? How do, how do you make people understand that? The thing that we do really specifically is we work with the candidates who are, we recruit them and then we work with the candidates who are running to make sure that they're getting their messages out to voters. So for example, if you've got somebody running for school board, those are the people who are making decisions about your, their, your kid's education. They're making decisions about the type of curriculum they have, the type of textbooks they're buying. Um, and those, you know, like they oftentimes feel like really small things like in the moment, but like when people go and complain at PTA meetings or places like that, yeah. oftentimes those are the types of things that they're complaining about. Again, we're talking to Ross Morales Riquetto, who is from, from runforsomething.net about down ballot voting. So obviously we know the importance about this, uh, but how can people actually prepare themselves? It seems like it's, it's like doing um, an exam all over again or a college essay. Like you got to do a ton of research. And then when you're yeah. going in, like I feel like it possibly uh, makes people not want to vote in a way. Yeah, it's really tough. So there's places out there, for example, like if you go to Google um, and you like Google like elected offices in my area, actually a lot of times those will come up for you. They work with a number of like nonprofit organizations that exist that compile that information for them. Uh, there's also folks like Ballot Ready. Uh, they get that information for you. So you go to their website, I think it's ballotready.org. You go, you fill out your address, and then they show you all of the different folks who are running in your area. To be honest, one of the easiest ways to do it is to sort of like think about who you want to vote for as well is like go to your local newspaper and like look at the folks that they're choosing to endorse. You should probably mm. do a little bit of research on top of that because a lot of those newspapers have a lot. Oftentimes those newspapers have a bent, you know, liberal or conservative. Yeah. So it's a good place to start, though, um, yeah. when you're starting to think about like who you want to vote for. But are you seeing more people, especially younger folks, wanting to go grab a newspaper <laughs> to, to find out about this, right? It seems like how um, are we seeing more people become more politically engaged? 
Yeah, you know, like I've seen like a bunch of surveys about how like young people consume their news and increasingly people are getting their news from places like TikTok, Instagram, um, and like Snapchat, other social media sites. The world so, is over. If they're getting their news from TikToks, <laughs> what are we doing? You know, I, a thing, a hot take that I had about the vice presidential debate last night was the, the, the real winner of the vice presidential debate was TikTok and the fly on Mike Pence's head. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And together they actually could like really run for president, a VP and a, a president there, TikTok and the fly. Uh, but as someone who works with a lot of these local candidates, then how do you overcome that challenge of pushing for local issues on these national platforms? Yeah, a thing that we tell and a thing that I tell everyone, like, if you're looking at ways to get involved right now, and if you're looking at the state of the world, and you're just like, sigh, like, I don't know what to do. Actually, like, one of the best things that you can do is like, either like, volunteer your time, or donate for a local candidate in your area, just like, it, all it takes to find some in your area is a little bit of Googling, or you can go to runforsomething.net. We actually have uh, a map on our website where you can actually like see folks who are running in your area. Um, you know, the thing I think that's really important about it is that in order for these folks to run and win and educate voters, they need to be able to get their messages out there. The Joe Biden campaign is going to raise probably close to $2 billion yeah. when all is said and done in this election cycle. Most of these races are getting decided, you know, like these candidates are raising $100,000, $200,000 sometimes a little bit more, but oftentimes yeah. way less. All right. Well, thank you again for being with us today. Really interesting stuff. We appreciate so good. It. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. That was Ross Morales Riquetto, co-founder and chief program and recruitment officer for runforsomething.net. President Trump was at a rally in Pennsylvania and tried to appeal to female voters in the suburbs. I ask you to do me a favor. Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please, please. I saved your damn neighborhood, okay? The other thing, I don't have that much time to be that nice. You know, I can do it, but I got to go quickly. We don't have time. They want me to be politically correct. Oh, yes, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it over the next 10 years. No, no, no. Now, we saved your, you, we saved suburbia. I mean, I wonder how that's going. Right? That's one way to do it. Just beg. Mm -hmm. See how that goes. Right. Uh, and, and this has been an issue. Right. I think it's interesting to see how suburban women are reacting to President Trump in this election. It says a lot about where we're at. Uh, and of course, during this whole thing, the president slammed Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden for backing Obama era fair housing regulations. Uh, and he said that Biden is waging war on the suburbs. And this is a narrative that he's used for a while, like he's a suburban guy. He's going to protect the suburbs and stop, uh, you know, the um, lower class from coming into these That's, rich areas. He's and continue not talking about lower class. Yes. And black and brown communities. He's talking about uh, black folks. He's yes. talking about protests. He's talking about those people that we saw in the RNC. Um, who were the ones being indicted and I think are now being charged because they were pointing guns at peaceful protesters walking through Here, their neighborhood. Yeah. He was, yeah. he's talking about saving those folks. And also while if you saw the rally, he has women for Trump standing right behind him. This is just a marketing ploy. This is the same man that said, grab him by the hoo-ha. And he does not care about women. And we've seen that. 
Well, of course, we know that, which is why I think it was surprising to see how many women ended up voting for him in the 2016 election. And yet what has changed? Do you think just people have realized Well, women specifically have realized that this is not the person they want to represent them? Um, I'm, you know, I'm not just going to say this is just women. We need to be like clear about this. It was 50 something percent of white women that voted for him when they were saying that they were going to be behind Hillary Clinton. It's this back and forth. Um, you know, that people say one thing and they, they, uh, showcase one thing to the public, but when they go behind in the privacy of that ballot or whatever they're sending in their mail-in ballots, they're saying something different to either side with their, you know, their husband husbands are side with whoever's going to make their life as easy as possible. And well, so that's yeah. what we're seeing here. No, and that has happened. We're seeing a bit of a shift, which is why I think he's, um, you know, he he's trying so hard right now because white suburban women have appeared to vote more Democratic ahead of the midterms, including in areas like Ohio's 12th congressional district. They've been solidly Republican since 1983. Trump had won that by 11 points in 2016. But yet that seems like there is space right now for possibly the Democrats to win. So things seem to be changing. So the, sim the typical and similar tropes aren't working right now. No, and they never did work. Bar. They never did work, in my opinion. These folks, we're in a completely different time period right now, right? And we're in a different space politically. And, and at the end of the day, we still don't know how people are going to show up in the polls. Um, no matter what people are saying, we won't find out. I've been saying this time and time again, we won't find out until the, well, now after talking to Richard Fowler from Fox News, yeah. we might not find out for the two weeks afterwards. So to be honest, don't trust anyone. Don't trust anything that they're saying. Um, and suburban moms, I really don't think they're going to vote for Trump. But who knows who knows experts are saying they just uh feel more comfortable with biden it seems like they they just don't like trump but we'll see from the actual election what happens in a new survey from eHarmony and Relate, over a third of people newly living with a partner say the past two months feel like the equivalent of two years of commitment and common relationship milestones like moving in together have been met quickly because of everything happening. It's being called a turbo relationship. And here to explain more is Susan Winter, a New York-based relationship expert. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. It's a great topic. We are looking at something unique to this time period. Uh -huh. You might have noticed people don't like to be alone during a crisis. Yeah. And this has prompted a massive shift, not only in our general consciousness as a society, but it's impacted our dating and relationships. People are forming relationships quickly, yet the pace has slowed. We're not allowed to meet and hook up. People are having deep conversations. They're going to core values and they're finding connectedness on a very deep, deep level. And therefore these turbo relationships. When you're saying they're finding closeness on a deep, deep level, are they just trauma bonding? <laughs> I am sure that some people are. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the Craigslist advertisements for, you know, I've got a ton of pasta, I've got water and Netflix come quarantine with me. Uh, you oh, know. I didn't know about those. Oh, yeah. Those oh. are like STD free. Just be a friend. You know, five foot seven, 52 year old guy in Queens. I've got a place for you. So there is desperation. There will always be desperation. But in cases like this, I think we have. I think we all became much more purposeful and intentionally based. 
people did not want to be alone, but they you, you don't want to be in a crisis with somebody that's not a cool person that you can relate to. You wanted to be with somebody that had your back and it feels good and you feel like you're connected. So that has driven these turbo relationships. And when my clients and people mm-hmm. around me say, I feel like I've known them 100 years, mm-hmm. it's because they had the deep and meaningful conversations that they didn't have at a bar where they're like, oh, you're good looking. I'm good looking. Let's go. They didn't have those. So now it's getting much more profound and the connection does feel deeper. Yeah. And you're not really dating in a casual sense. You can't really date in a casual sense. Like, I mean, I met someone and this is well, this is why it's relevant as well to, you know, me personally. And it's not like we had the, the time where we were dating different people while we were getting to know each other. So you kind of like hunker down on one person when you feel like it's the right fit. And then it ends up before, you know, becoming a much deeper relationship more quickly. Well, and, and sure, that's a perfect point because you can't focus if you're looking at everybody. When you start to eliminate and focus on one person, that's where you find it's a yes or a no. And that's where the quality, that's where the reward comes in. You know, the paradox of choice mm-hmm. pre-COVID, there are a million, million, million people, choo, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe. Yeah. Now we're opting more for comfort, security, safety, resonance, connection. And the questions are uh, asked differently. And the whole process is different. Yeah. Again, we're talking to Susan Winter, a New York-based relationship expert. And we're talking about turbo relationships happening during the pandemic. Yeah, I'm not sold. I'm really not. Um, Because I still feel that during this time... I think a lot of people who are hunkering down are possibly maybe uncomfortable with just being by themselves, right? And I think there could, there, what's the balance there? And I would love to know your perspective. What's the balance of just needing to latch on to someone because you can't handle being alone versus the, the other, the latter? <laughs> you are so right. And people will always seek comfort over growth. I mean, you have to be geared to want to grow and challenge yourself. I mean, who said, I, gee, I want to be alone for three months by myself and my cat. I mean, that's not exciting, right? <laughs> so you can see there was a huge impulse, but you're right. Too much, too soon. It's, it's not always the right person. I know people that are couples, okay? They don't like each other. They don't want to be together. They didn't want to be alone during a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I know other people that got together just newly dating, just met and said, hey, let's do this thing together. And then uh, three months later, it's like, I'm going to get married because some people are playing house. Mm, Other people yeah. are just holding a person hostage for their own fears. <laughs> and you're right on that one. <laughs> and so, and yes. so where do you find that Yeah, balance? I guess, like, what do you need to look out for? What are the flags to know if it's something that's more on the toxic dysfunctional side versus the secure yeah. side that's worth putting in the time? Do you feel safe? Can you, can you lean back? Is there always crisis? Are you walking on eggshells? Is having them there to appease your fear and your loneliness worth the mental and emotional chaos you're going through? And so in that way, it's no different than any other relationship. But remember, these are intensified because of the time period, the mentality, and oftentimes because of the restrictions. There are people that got trapped together because their borders were closed. They can't fly home. There are people that lost, that, you know, were in an apartment and can't leave or lost their apartment because they lost their job. Now they're living together. So there have been outside forces that have uh, have factored into these unions whether they're right or not is something we have to ask ourselves and you know some yeah. people don't want to ask so that's how it rolls out 
Does age play into this as well? Because I know Sheeran and I have talked about this where if you are, you know, a little bit older and you're already ready to settle down, you're willing to just kind of be like, this might be the person. You know, why not test drive it? You got a couple months, you were going to be alone anyway. It's a bad time period. You don't want to be out kissing all these people. Why not test drive focusing on one person? Not too bad. I, I love that mentality. Susan Winter, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Again, Susan is a New York-based relationship expert. We're wrapping up the show with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. And we're so excited to introduce you to an artist you need to know, Simone Lee, who is known for creating art that transcends race and gender to celebrate Black women and give them a voice. And now she's sculpting her way into history. She's going to be the first Black woman ever to represent the U.S. at the prestigious Venice Biennale Arts Festival. It's Biennale, if you were going to speak, I guess, uh, Italian. Uh, She lives in New York City and actually doesn't give interviews at all. So there's not a lot out there of her speaking. Uh, But here she is explaining her art piece last year entitled The Loophole of Retreat that was on display at the Guggenheim Museum. The title Loophole of Retreat refers to a book written by Harriet Jacobs called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. She described being trapped in a crawl space, a garret of a house. She could see out, so she had that power of knowledge, but she was still incarcerated. So beautiful work, amazing stuff, and shout out to her. Definitely uh, someone to watch out for. I mean, one, I've never even heard of her in this sense, but I love, like, obviously she's making a space and and, and specifically creating history in the art world. Um, I'm not really kind of like an art connoisseur or anything, but it's so nice to know that there are Black people and a Black woman specifically in that space making history. It's, It's incredible, wow. Love it. And and the work is beautiful. So definitely check it out. Obviously, you can't see it in person. So Google it. Uh, Now, this next one is for all the dog lovers out there, or I would say uh, pet owners, uh, because we all know how it seems like when we say I love you to our pets, it seems like they get very excited. But now it's official. So there's a new study that reveals that a dog's heart rate increases when an owner says, I love you. So according to this study, yeah, they put uh, a quartet of test pups with heart rate monitors, right? And the dogs were guided through a series of scenarios over the course of seven days to see how they'd react to a variety of stimuli. So it revealed that the four dogs averaged their resting heart rate was 67 beats per minute. When the owner said, I love you, the dog's heart rate shot to 98 beats per minute, a 46.2% increase. Wow. I mean, I wonder if it'll work for Coco. She's not around, but I doubt she'll even come if I even said it. But who knows? I mean, she that is so sweet. And just another reason that I love dogs. There's actually these viral videos going out where uh, this person on TikTok taught their dog how to use these buttons to communicate. Mm-hmm. And this dog literally communicated like, ouch, I have like, uh, you know, something what? in my paw. Like it was wild. And literally will go and say, Mom, I love you. And it's just, it melts my heart. I love little dogs. That's cute. And it's also strange because that's the same dog that like watches you while you're doing it on your bed. Yep. Has whole, like completely understands what's happening. Like literally. Exactly. Smart. Go dogs. Too smart for their own good. <laughs> okay. That does it for our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. 
Now, coming up on tomorrow's show, uh, we are here, of course, for you on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of, of these companies coming out, or at least employees, fighting to get the day off on Election Day. And also, how do pandemics end? Because history suggests diseases fade, but are almost never truly gone. We're diving into that tomorrow. And if you miss any of our shows or our interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So be part of our podcast family. Just go to the radio.com app, search Let's Go There, and subscribe so you're notified when we post new episodes. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.